Clubhouse. Welcome to Decorating the Set from Hollywood to Your Home with your hosts, Beth Kushnick and Caroline Daly. Welcome to Decorating the Set from Hollywood to Your Home. This is Caroline. Hey, Beth. Hi, Caroline. As the decorator by your side, I'm always interested in helping listeners find the looks from their favorite TV shows and movies. Many years ago now, this week's guest, Keanu Driscoll, had the same idea. For example, if you wanted Don Draper's chair from Mad Men, Kean's website, Seen on Set, would point you to three different options at three different price points for what you wanted to buy. Kean was a great guest for this week's topic, TV and movies influencing our real-world decor. You talk in the interview about meeting Kean when he interviewed you for his then-blog that turned e-commerce site Seen on Set. Does it ever surprise you how much publicity and exposure you get for your work? Like, this has turned into, like, this crazy great fan base for things like licensed product lines and home collections. Well, I have to say that Kian was incredibly astute at understanding the aesthetic of The Good Wife and what I did as a set decorator. He really took a deep dive with his writing into my work. And I think that's what certainly impressed me the most. It's been incredible, all the fan inquiries and the way the business has changed and everything has changed to allow me to have such good communication with fans. Uh, this year, I established a website. It's BethKushnick.com. And I've heard from a lot of people with the same kinds of questions, just pictures of their home or their office and questions about sources or what coffee table looks better, this one or that one. And I really enjoy it. So it was initially a surprise, but now I sort of feel like it's an extension of me and extension of my job. That's wonderful. I mean, it seems it makes so much sense, you know, that people would want to take these things and these characters that they admire and bring their things into their home. You've spent your whole career putting your style and aesthetic into your work, influencing all of your projects. In the spirit of this week's topic, have you ever been inspired or influenced by something you saw on a show or, or a movie or or have you been working on something on a job that you ended up finding something that you're like, you know what, I'm going to incorporate this into my own style now? I have been inspired, mostly, I'd say consistently inspired by things that I follow on Instagram because I seem to be tapping into new sources, new artists, new wallpaper, new products every single day. And that's the thing that fuels my fire is the hunt for uh, something different. And, you know, I think also... I'm sort of everyone I know's doctor on call. You know, like last night, a friend of mine texted me that a friend of hers was looking for a break front. And 
I sort of couldn't go to sleep until I found seven or so <laughs> uh, selections to send to them. So I think it's all part of my mind constantly going and sourcing and looking for the right thing or then filing things in my brain that end up coming to fruition for a certain job. And of course, the ironic situation is that, you know, when I'm looking for something really specific for a job, you know, it can be really hard to source or find. And literally the minute that scene shoots, I'm flooded with <laughs> it's like with buying Instagram. a red car or something, uh, right? Yeah, and all of a sudden you know, that's all you see. Exactly. So, you know, that's part of the irony of being a set decorator. You know, you search and search and search and then there it is right in front of you. But I just am on a constant search. You know, it's it, it's like sort of an addiction. <laughs> I can't imagine the mood board in, in Beth's head. It must just be like so full of so yeah, many pins in there. <laughs> That's funny. Well, unfortunately, we don't have seen on the set to shop at anymore. But as you talked about in the interview, it was and still is a great idea. If listeners are interested in trying to get looks from shows that they watch, where are the go-to places that you would go to for an item? Like where would people start this search that you're talking about, this amazing search? Deciding on a certain topic, everything from furniture to flowers to wallpaper and starting that search on Instagram, one thing begets another. When you're searching for something that you like, even if you put in specifically in your search, you know, a blue fabric or even more specific beach glass color, you know, or a specific style, one thing leads to another. And then I find for me, once I start following certain vendors and certain Instagram pages, you know, it, it's constantly giving me more suggestions. Suggestions. Another way to do it is certainly to search on Pinterest and in publications, although there are few of them left, there are still online versions and keep a file of tear sheets and things that inspire you. That's a terrific suggestion. And we are going to dive in more on this topic with our interview with Kian O'Driscoll. To help us today understand the larger scope of how TV and movies have influenced home decor in the real world, Kian O'Driscoll is our special guest. Kian was the co-founder of Scene on Set, an early entry business in bringing decor from TV shows and movies to our consumers, which makes him the perfect guest for today's episode. Kian, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Joining us from all the way in Ireland, as, as people may determine from your accent, but uh, definitely we're getting so you exciting. here. Yeah, we're getting you on a on a, a late night for you, but afternoon for us. So we appreciate you making the time for us. I appreciate that. No worries, guys. Beth, let's set the table. How did you first get to meet Kian? I think he's one of your one of your kind of pandemic friends or or internet friends that you have. No, uh, uh, much earlier than that. It dates back to the good wife and he wrote one of the most thorough and fantastic articles on the set decor of the good wife and 
made it all sound brilliant and wonderful. <laughs> we became instant friends after that, and we've had a long-standing communication all through my days of The Good Wife and The Good Fight and his days through Seen on Set. See, Beth, I met you through evil, through doing an interview about evil. Mm -hmm. See, this is how you meet the people in your life. Yeah, That's yeah. right, the and they stay. And, and, they stay. <laughs> and the interesting thing is that we don't meet in person in today's world, but, you know, we've got good communication. That's it. Me and my little bunker. Uh, no, no friends allowed in here, but I have all of my internet friends. So. <laughs> Kian, tell us about your relationship to TV and film and how your set design blog led to Scene on Set. And tell everyone what Scene on Set was. Yeah, I mean, I've always kind of had that interest in, in movies and TV shows, you know, even growing up, it was, uh, you know, I guess it depends on your family and your household. And we were always a very kind of art and kind of design and literature based household. And my mom was a very big influence in terms of getting us to read books all the time. And at a very, very young age, was kind of introduced to film. And my older brother, you know, was big into movies and he subsequently now is a script editor. And, um, so we kind of had that in the household. And as I was growing up, I, I always used to kind of be fascinated with the with the kind of design of sets and particularly, you know, sci-fi when I was really young, which is a big thing, big influence on me and how they designed all of these amazing spaces. And as I kind of matured and grew up and I, I worked in the construction industry, industry for a long time, and then I went back to college and I studied to be an architect. And um, coming out of the back of that, when I was doing my master's degree, I was kind of lecturing on the side as well and I had a little bit of a design consultant businessy business going and I started writing this blog just kind of on a Saturday morning with my cup of coffee and I used to write blogs and articles about the design of movies and how kind of immersive it is and the people behind it. So I really, you know, started to understand that a lot of these people are, are actually from a kind of design or art background as well. You know, they might have studied theater design, they might have been an architect themselves. And that kind of kind of hooked me in a little bit more. And I wrote a piece for for Arc Daily, um, which at the time was one of the largest kind of architecture websites in the world. And um, and that piece kind of did quite well. And, and I thought, you know, maybe there's something in this. And I, I started to kind of expand and do it more and spend more time on it. Quickly, it kind of grew an audience, um, this blog. And eventually, I kind of started noticing that people were reaching out and contacting us, looking for um, for certain furniture and decor and items that they had seen. I kind of thought, okay, well, maybe, maybe we pivot into this a little bit more and maybe there's an opportunity to, you know, uh, interact with the, the set decorators and the people that are dressing the sets and sourcing the material for the sets and, and maybe turn this into a more of an e-commerce business and, and source some of these products for people. And, and it kind of quickly grew into that direction. And I, I then kind of had to make the decision, you know, can I actually make this into a proper business? And I took it to a couple of investors, a couple of people in Ireland and, you know, kind of shopped it around a little bit and, you know, got onto a startup accelerator for a startup business. Um, you've, you know, you guys have many over there. Ireland is a, has a huge kind of community in, in kind of startups and, and there's a lot of government funding to get get, you know, small businesses off the ground. So I managed to capture some of that funding. And, um, you know, I quit my day job as I graduated and quit my day job, didn't go, go into architecture, started this full time, managed to raise some, a little bit more investment from some private investors, um, some more government funding. And I basically hired some, some you know, developers and 
marketeers and we kind of went to work and um, had a little office space in Dublin at the time. And um, we just kind of started building this database of, of decor and furniture from movies and TV shows. And then with that, as, as we kind of, you and I came to meet was, you know, there was also this layer of kind of content and, you know, appreciation because we didn't want it just to be a total kind of e-commerce site because it didn't, its original original form wasn't that. It was much more about, you know, uh, writing about th- these beautiful you know amazing designs that people sometimes take for granted on their on their television set every evening right and so i started writing articles about certain shows and certain things and even certain pieces of furniture or, 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 you know, people used to always reach out to us wondering, you know, what's the, the, the painting hanging in, you know, in Ex Machina, for instance, the, the girl in the white dress and, you know, people, people wanted to know what these things were. And, and then, you know, you and I kind of, you know, mm-hmm. met over, over, over the internet way back when, I think it was like 2013, 14, maybe. Yeah. And I wanted to do a piece on the good wife and, and, and- you captured every part of me. I felt like you really understood the depth of, you know, what we were trying to do. And the fact that we had the first uh, home decor license in TV history. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, and, and it really was. And I remember speaking to you for the first time. We, we, we had talked a bit over email and then we, we chatted on the phone a couple of times. And, and it really was that kind of element of, okay, because you at the time had become quite famous in the sense that I, in terms of, you know, not many sect decorators had become, you know, front of house almost, right? They hadn't, mm-hmm. you know, had articles written about them. They hadn't had their own line. So you had kind of broken the, the, the fourth wall, let's call it, of coming <laughs> from behind the scenes to, to front, uh, front of the camera. And and I thought that was very interesting also. And, um, and there's an element, I think now maybe, you know, even when, I don't know how long ago was it, the Oscars started including the set decorator as part of the production design academy you know i think it was kind of a you know a, a, a part of the industry that wasn't really well known or celebrated maybe like you know 10 15 20 years ago yeah. and i think i think now people people like yourself kind of broke that barrier a little bit and i found that a quite quite an interesting take on the whole thing so yeah and, and then of course the design of the good wife had kind of permeated popular culture as well. And I remember, uh, maybe I'm mistaken, maybe you can correct me, but I think, you know, one of the the, the wine glasses, I think it was a Crate and Barrel wine glass. And I, I remember I reached out to somebody in Crate and Barrel and they were able to tell, you know, when, the, when a certain episode aired that this wine glass would, you know, people would come looking for this wine glass because it was on, you know, the episode the evening before, right? So, and and that just kind of tells you that, um, you know, sometimes these shows or, or movies, TV shows, I guess, because you're a little bit more invested and connected to them and they're in your living room every evening. Every and, week, or yeah. Every week, right? So so you kind of notice things and you start going, oh, I like, you know, certain items in the background or, you know, so so I think that that just kind of took it to a whole kind of another level. And, and at that point, I really knew we were on to something, you know, I really knew that, you know, we'd kind of touched the pulse of something and uh, that was really the, the kind of the early days, the start of it. And it kind of went on from there for for the next kind of five years of my life i mean that's the perfect segue though because you're watching it you're writing your blog you're 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 Mm -hmm. the reporter on the ground really taking this in but beth you're working on the show Uh, 
people who have listened to the podcast over the years know that you're the first, you know, licensed decor. You 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 set up the first licensed decor from a show. But tell us a little bit about what that experience is like in the moment. How did you know it was time? What what was it like getting together with uh with Mitchell Gold and Bob Williams to to launch the Good Wife and then later the Good Fight collections and just just go behind the scenes on that a little bit because it was groundbreaking and and still not nearly as common as maybe people even think uh it might be right it it actually still stands really as the only home decor license it was an opportunity given to me by really the fans because what was happening at the time was we were getting so much fan mail at cbs and in those days I think I might have said this before. Uh, it was being um, inspected for anthrax. I mean, it was really um, something that was unexpected. Everybody wanted to know about Alicia's apartment and the furnishings. And I was asked to think about what might be an appropriate license. You know, they didn't want to do things like a mouse pad or a mug, although they did those, but uh, they wanted something more substantial. And at that point, I put together, you know, a document of all my most regularly used vendors. I'd say, you know, through the help of Eloise Goldman, who was then working for Mitchell Gold, Mitchell, who was really always, he is open-minded and really creative and collaborating on the designs with Bob. Um, Mitchell came and took a tour of my set out in Brooklyn and my shop and he saw so many things and so many items. And I think that's what cinched it. He said, okay, let's do this. They took off with a, a blog and the licensed product. And then I got uh, deals for licensed product with uh, IMAX Worldwide Home and uh, with Interlude Home, with Horchow. It, it really hit at a time when everyone wanted a piece. You know, they could have larger pieces uh, like the furniture. We created the whole concept of get the good look of the good wife. Really, the fans drove it. Um, and also the furniture itself in, in the Mitchell Gold and Bob Williams line was so well made that even if you didn't want the exact sofa in Alicia's living room, you wanted that sofa in another fabric. Then I would go back to them and, you know, based on the script, like there was one season when, you know, it's scripted that Kalinda is sitting with a gun facing the door. In, As we all uh, do from time to time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> in, in an oversized chair. And what better chair to give her than, you know, a white leather wingback chair. You know, the characters uh, informed our designs and we tried each year of the license to add to the collection. And, you know, we had a, a pretty healthy collection by the time 
it, it came to the end of uh, the good fight, I mean, you know, we really could furnish your whole house. <laughs> I mean, a collection you can still go see up on uh, Mitchell Gold and Bob Williams' website. It's it's still there, and you can still it's check still it out. It's still out and... there in the world. My yeah. uh, IMAX uh, collection is still you know, pieces here and there on Amazon or Wayfair. And I think it it did really change the concept of set decorator and, you know, how people could interact with a set decorator. Let's talk and, about the back home collection though for a second, because this was then your personal line of, of decor. I'm curious how your experience in setting up the Good Wife collection based on the show influenced good or bad or or just changed your what did you take away from that that helped you when you launched your own personal back home collection line? Well, they were really different experiences because Mitchell Gold and Bob Williams manufactures all their furniture in the United States. And that's what made this collection possible because, you know, turnaround time in TV shows is non-existent. And the way in which we could do all of this is that the furnishings were available in the United States. That factory, you know, broke their backs to uh, give us what we needed in time to feature on the set. For my personal collection, it was made overseas, and I, I learned so much about a whole other aspect of the business. And what we really tried to do was um, we would call them my go-to pieces from set, meaning that they were versatile enough that they could be used in like all different environments. So the pieces were, I don't know what you would call transitional. So they could be in a modern setting or, you know, in a little more, traditional setting, but they still looked appropriate. And a lot of it was office design really wasn't, you know, as popular or as as different looking as, as we achieved it on The Good Wife. You know, it was the traditional tufted leather sofa. We really pushed the envelope with the office design. And a lot of the characters were women. And, you know, that informed the scale of pieces and the sizes and color and everything. So you're working in the 2010s, you're working on The Good Wife, then you're working on The Good Fight. Uh, Kean, you're you're watching this, you're running your blog, you're starting to work on scene on set. This e-commerce develops kind of, you're both on this parallel track moving towards the same idea of people want to get the look into their home. Now, TV's been around for 70 years at this point. From each of you, what do you think it was that led to this moment? Both of you kind of arriving at the same idea at the same time, and, and obviously there was a market for it. Why then? Why why at that point did it develop? What, you know, what, what led to people actually not only really wanting to get the look from their shows and their films, but actually being able to do it? I think there was there was a number of elements, right, that the kind of stars aligned at, uh, at this point. But I think one of the key ones was television kind of had become quite sophisticated, right? And, and not to say the television wasn't prior to that, right? But 
in terms of the shows and the, the level of kind of quality and detail that, you know, like someone like Beth working, you know, at the top of her game on a, you know, hugely popular global TV show, you know, it had that kind of influence. And I think in, in that period of the 2010s, you started to see the kind of breakthrough of certain shows like Mad Men. And then it became, you, you saw kind of writings and pieces in this, you know, in major publications, everything from like the New York Times to actually the design magazines and blogs and things like that, that spoke about this. And I think um, it kind of coincided with a huge growth in in kind of interiors uh, at the same time. And I think how people decorated their homes or the type of furniture that they sought, I think ultimately change. And, you, and if you think as well during this period, so in, in the kind of lead up to that, it was kind of like coming out the back of a recession again and people started to, ha- you know, spend a little bit more money again. And uh, so I think kind of by 2012, 2014 onwards, the kind of online furniture industry, you know, and I did a lot of research into this at the time because I was, you know, having to develop, you know, business plans and talk to investors. And, you know, we have to have a strategy in place in terms of the economic viability of, of what we were putting forward or trying to develop. So there was a whole element of that as well. You know, I'm, I don't know if you would agree, Beth, but I think certainly yes. TV, TV itself changed, right? And, and the kind of, the, the, uh, maybe even the investment in, in the sets and, and the decor, mm-hmm. and they, they really did want it to be a very kind of cutting edge at the time, I think. And uh, obviously different TV shows had a different need or a different requirement. But, but I think some of those very, very popular TV shows at the time broke through and had that element of it kind of influenced into kind of popular culture. It influenced into the kind of the design world and people of a design background started taking notice. Um, uh, and, and you did see a lot more, you know, articles and coverage of the type of, you know, because there, there was a point where it used to be fashion only, right? And it was like, you know, what, you know, Sophie Loren was wearing or whatever it might have been. That's a long time ago, but, you know, equally right the way up, it was, you could find kind of fashion, get the look, uh, you know, quite yep. easily. But there was nothing really there from the kind of the decor and design standpoint. And we really felt that there was there was something in there. And I remember speaking to Beth at the time and we really spoke about if you think about particularly like let's say Alicia's apartment or, or some of these sets, um, you know, they're on screen and some of this furniture is on screen more than the actors are, right? And it's mm. it's like, you know, it has more screen time. And a lot of these companies then um, I remember, at the t- you know, our, our most searched for item on, on our site at the time, like when we were at our height, was the office chair from Billions, right? The TV show Billions. And this office chair was a, at the time was like two and a half thousand dollars for this office chair. We obviously had had a link to that chair, but we also had, you know, here's a couple of alternatives that look the same, but it's a lot cheaper. You can get it on Wayfair or wherever it might be. Um, and we really felt that was a, a kind of a model that we'd pivot into was, you know, here's the real product. Here's the designers and the manufacturers and the core, the, the real people who, who built and designed this chair. But also here's a kind of cheaper alternative if you're not going to spend two and a half grand on a, on a chair. That kind of element of, you know, people really wanted to see, you know, or find out, oh, God, you know, we're watching this show every every Tuesday night and I love his office. I love the chair he sits in, you know, when he's having arguments with his co-worker, whatever it might be. And, you know, that then just kind of, I think people took notice a little bit more uh, of those kind of elements and it moved beyond fashion and 
those elements kind of combined at the same time and it and um, it made for a kind of an interesting period in, in that kind of relationship between the viewer uh, and you know the amazing sets that were you know put in front of us you know of, of an evening when we sat down with a glass of wine and we were you know and it, these shows were beautifully acted and very well written and produced, you know, in a way that, you know, people always say that Sopranos changed TV and, you know, there's, there's tons of documentaries that you can watch that, that pivot in television. And I think it, all of that kind of fed into that period of the noughties. And I think we still see it today, right? There's still a lot of, you know, beautifully designed TV shows out there. And, um, I think just that time, that period, just saw that transition of bringing the audience a little bit closer to to that level of design and decor, I think. Yeah, I think it was definitely that. And it was the onset of technology and, you know, going from getting fan letters delivered to CBS to, you know, setting up a blog and creating a way in which they could contact me directly. Every part of technology at that point, more shopping that took place online, looking at things that were more accessible online. This whole concept was started then of sort of a high-low, you know, where you see something that you want and then you might be able to imitate it somewhere else. The internet changed completely my position as someone who was, you know, never in front of the scenes and always behind the scenes, everyone being able to get in touch with me. And and another part that was fascinating was from the office decor standpoint, in those early days, I was being contacted by more men than women who, you know, wanted my advice and services for their office. That's sort of rare when you think about who's looking at decor, not to typecast anybody, but it made it a much more universal thing. You know, these, these shows that, like Mad Men, like Billions, like Good Wife, they had a really split demographic audience. It was a much huger audience than, uh, you know, anything that came before it. TV budgets, though, also must play a role in it, right? Because, Beth, you, you specifically, I think back to a movie like Reversal of Fortune that you worked on. Which, which had just—I even remember seeing it, and I, I was young. I was, you know, I was a teenager when I saw it. And I, I'm thinking, this is the, the this is just Max Lux, just lush furnishings that I would want to live in. But, you know, I was 15, you know, at the time, and I, it was like a pipe dream. But then, you, or even like Private Parts, which was irreverent, but it was cool. You know, it was it was great mid 90s cool for what like like a young hip person would want. You didn't see that really in TV shows. Maybe you saw like a fun friend's mug or like central perk kind of thing, but you didn't see something that you really wanted to like throw your money at. You get to the mid 2000s and you have, like you said, Mad Men, you have The Good Wife where you finally can see those big budget movie lush furnishings every week. It, it, it becomes high end every single week over and over again in your eyeballs. I think it also must make it much more attractive. It also was a concept of, you know, you think that I have an incredible 
budget. But in reality, you know, I I have... Yeah, the genius uh, out there working, (laughs) picking, finding these little gems. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was really funny because, you know, also... I, I was doing network television then. It was 22 episodes, you know, so I would always shove the additional money spent on the next episode. But once I got to episode 20 of the season, <laughs> I had to like really tighten my belt, you know, and hope the script was going to take place in like one office. But the interesting thing about it is that in those days, the fan interaction was such that they challenged me. I mean, I got a lot of blowback saying, you're not giving the source because my blog was that I gave the real sources. You know, I, I was taking so many questions and I put together five or 10 questions a week and I, I just gave the honest sources like that faucet came from a cheap big box store and no one believed me and then they were getting so outraged because they could get in touch with me that you know i was like arguing with people and saying hey you know you work with my budget right (laughs) so um it, it was i think also because of the interaction you know it just it brought it all up to what we called aspirational, and yet it was totally attainable. I want to talk about a specific item that we see come up over and over again when people are trying to get the look. I want to talk about color and paint specifically. Anyone who's listened to Decorating the Set knows Alicia's bedroom paint color was always a hot-button issue for you during your time and, and what color it was, the exact tint. But Pantone just recently launched the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel custom color palette. They designed an entire palette specific to that show that are people going crazy over because they want that retro 60s look. Guys, why do you think paint and color is such a popular expression for fans to try and get the looks of their favorite characters? Maybe even more than a chair or a couch. It's the paint, it's that color that draws them in so often. Well, it's it's so affordable. You know, no one's making a big mistake if you paint your bedroom Alicia's bedroom color, which is Beach Glass by Benjamin Moore. It's really something that can inform the look of the whole room. And it did. The linens went with it and the lighting and the the furnishings and everything was a takeoff on that color, which was my bedroom color in my own room. It worked. And it was something that was really pleasing to a lot of people. I answered that question thousands of times. And I think it gives everyone a starting point that maybe they can't necessarily afford the furniture, but they can get the look in a, in a cheaper way. What do you think, Kian? What, what, what is it about color that draws people to objects? And, and especially, I mean, you have firsthand knowledge of people looking to you to hook them up with certain items. Yeah, I think I think the, the best point, I think, from from a kind of an, an ease of use and, and a low cost approach. And, you know, if you don't like it, it doesn't work, you can paint over it. Color, even as a whole, I remember thinking back to um, uh, at the time we had a lot of products from from Suits, the the TV show. I think it ran for about like seven or eight years. It was more popular in North America than it was in Europe. But one office was a kind of um, a really kind of rich blue, and the other office was a was a mute like two, the two main characters was a kind of a muted, uh, I think almost like a creamy kind of, and it was meant to kind of reflect their their 
contrasting personalities, right? And then equally to that, they had, you know, art hanging on certain walls will have a certain pop, you know, given the color uh, and the influence. So uh, I've seen people not even notice a piece of art and, and by season three, they've repainted the wall a different color and all of a sudden, you know, whoa, what's that piece of art? I've never noticed it before. Um, so I think it has a, you know, an immense influence and and even just color as a whole. I mean, all you look at any Wes Anderson movie, right? It's just, it's, you know, color is the, the kind of first thing that you might notice and it can, you know, change the mood of a scene, you know, instantaneously. So I think, I think from, from a kind of uh, an acquisition perspective from, from, from a viewer or a customer, it's a, it's a quick way to maybe get the starting point from which you're going to build or dress your, your, your room, be it your bedroom or your living room, whatever it might be. I think that the, the paint and the color of your walls, you know, ultimately inf- has a huge influence on, you know, the type of art you might hang or the furniture or the, 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 the carpet or the hardwood yeah, floors it's, or whatever. It's a you mood know. creator, you know, it just sets the tone. Yeah, yeah. It's your 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 canvas by which you, you create your mood board that, you know, um, of your eclectic life of whatever way you're going to do it. So, uh, and I didn't know that, that they developed that paint, uh, which I think is a, a you know, a, a fabulous, a fabulous idea. Yeah, I mean, there's there's all sorts of, because it's Maisel's final season, everyone is yeah, chipping yeah. in right now. There's a Tupper, yeah. there's a specific Specific Tupperware line right now right, to, to right. get that retro 60s look in the same kind of colors as the as the Pantone palette. Well, that leads us to is something interesting, which is since we did large pieces of furniture and really since my line of uh, go to smaller items, there has been this, you know, onslaught of smaller items. You know, I, I think economically people realize that, you know, maybe someone's not going to make a big investment, they could make a smaller investment, you know, Tupperware or a deck of cards or, you know, anything that's taken from, that's available uh, from their favorite show. And it, there was also an element when we had designed the, the line for CBS of this concept of gift giving to your favorite fan. A lot of the interaction I have with people are they want to know about a certain piece of art I have on set because they want to give it as a gift to their husband or wife. So, you know, it was seen as another way to take something that someone enjoys and give to them based on it. In researching this episode, we saw wide gaps in affordability and quality of products seen on TV and film. Ken, do you have any advice or tips or tricks on how shoppers can avoid knockoff items and also avoid overpaying for items in their quest to get a look? It's a good question, and it is. It's a it's a difficult one because you know you, you obviously on, on a lot of TV shows and sets, you know, they might have an Eames lounge chair, for instance, right? If you're going to buy the the official Eames lounge chair, it's twelve and a half thousand dollars, right? But right. you can get you can buy a knockoff. Uh, it's probably made in China or somewhere like that, and you're you're taking away from that that original design. But ultimately, one thing that we found was the best approach really was to try and offer, uh, you know, an alternative, right? So a cheaper alternative of something that gives you that kind of mid-century modern feel and look, um, you know, is a beautiful piece, but is more affordable. And I think, uh, you know, that's ultimately, as we developed within the business at the time, we started quickly realizing that that's something we had to do because, you know, 
there was a a mix, as you said, Beth, earlier, uh, you know, people would look for a product and it was just sourced in a prop house in some back alley in Los Angeles, right? And we couldn't find it. We couldn't source it. But then, you know, the, the, the kind of high ticket items, like, you know, the chair from Billions or whatever it might be, these were very, very expensive. So we then had to spend a whole lot of time trying to research kind of other alternatives to, to shop the look in inverted commas, right? I think people can do that. I think it's 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 probably a, a great kind of alternative. And you can, once you start going down those kind of rabbit holes, you start discovering similar types of pieces or, or furniture or those kind of maybe even low cost alternatives that give you a certain look. But I think it's worth kind of investigating. And it is a little bit of, um, you know, you have to kind of pick through a lot of, you know, stuff to, to find what you want. There's no quick fix or easy way around that. You need to, you know, see the chair that you like or the, the look that you like. And the more you kind of start searching for it, you'll start, you know, finding little alternatives or oh, I didn't think of this this chair. And this is, you know, it might not be, uh, you know, a 1950s, you know, uh, Californian mid-century, you know, beautiful piece but it gives you that you know look and feel for 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 half the price and i think it it, it does come to that you you really need to put in the work and get out there and and start looking and investigating at, at different alternatives and there is that's where scene on set kind of fit at the time was you know we could source the, and connect you with the with the real source of this product or this piece uh, but ultimately here's two or three alternatives uh, at a kind of a low end you know low end entry level kind of mid range and then the high range and that's kind of the approach that we took because I think ultimately, be it a customer or a viewer, whoever want you know a reader, you know I think they appreciate that a little bit more that you're taking the time to kind of do that. There's no kind of easy way around that. We actually had to go out and find all these alternatives and use our and own be, kind be of be a set decorator. Exactly, use my own eye, right? Going, you yeah. know, I, I I don't want to put that forward because I don't really, you know, it's not that nice. It's not. I don't think it's well made. You know, for that price, it's going to be kind of flimsy or cheap, and I don't want to, you know, give that as an option to somebody. So we, we really put a lot of time into researching and, and trying to find a good alternative for people. But there was no, you know, we just had to kind of go and do that, that that kind of long donkey work and and, and do it and put together. A, I mean, we had at the time at the peak, and we still have the database actually, and somebody had approached us about the database about a year ago. I mean, we had tens of thousands of, of, of kind of products and pieces of furniture and decor, everything from like wine glasses to chairs, to couches, to chandeliers. And the links to to the to the you know where you could buy it or the manufacturer and you know we still have that that database and you know there was a lot of work that went into kind of gathering all that information together and um, yeah, but I think you know at the time the, the readers and the audience kind of did appreciate that we were giving you you know that that key source and that that true item but we were also giving you two or three alternatives. Also, this podcast has given in that way that, that, you know, we've talked about all different topics of d decor and, you know, maybe it isn't the exact chair, but you find a chair that has the same frame shape, you know, and then you recover the chair or maybe it's the concept of, you know, luxe fabrics and, you know, you find some lower price velvet or you can take the concepts that are being put forward in in any of these terms, you know, and just use the TV show or movie as inspiration and build off that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
finding your price point is having a budget and and knowing what you want to spend and maybe not being lured into spending too too much i think is a good segue to my next question because i was going down rabbit holes of items that i liked and all of a sudden i had you know a shopping cart uh full of things i was like i don't actually need all of these things i i I, you know i don't want my house necessarily looking like a set you know verbatim so is it possible to go too far in being influenced by what we see how do we find the blend of our personal style with what we like from a tv show but not necessarily lose ourselves beth i know you have a you have a very good bent on including your style into either what a tv show or a character requires or even for your private clients bringing a little bit of your style to those private clients so that you're not losing your yourself in it completely how how should how should people at home avoid doing that I think just, you know, stick to what you like. And if you're influenced, you know, by a specific show or a style or a certain period, like we said, you know, try it in small doses, like try the paint color, try the new chair, you know, you don't have to change everything in the living room, try it in a piece of art. There are ways that are subtle that... Um, you know, like a piece of art, you look at it and it will always remind you of that show that you have an affinity towards, mm-hmm. um, you know, but someone else can come and look at it and not realize that it was uh, from your favorite show. I, I look at it as this kind of special possessions that people take with them through their years, through their different homes, uh, you know, it becomes a part of their style, but it's, it doesn't change everything. You know, I, I think it's so important to live in a space that reflects you and what your character is. Absolutely. Yeah, I would agree completely. And I mean, I don't think, you know, from my perspective, you know, somebody's not going to like rebuild their entire living room to look like their favorite show or anything. But it's well, that's my worry. Wait. One day I wake <laughs> up and my kitchen, my kitchen looks like the Golden Girls kitchen, you know, yeah, I'm sitting you know, there eating cheesecake. I, I don't want I, I love the Golden Girls, but I don't want to live in their house, you know? You know, it's yeah. possible because like an, uh, an auction house is soon to be having uh, the, the auction of the entire all in the family set, uh, you know, and the Cheers bar, and you could buy the whole thing, but no, we don't want you to do that. Yeah, and I think I think it is those kind of those influences, and I mean, there's there's things that I remember at the time. It was um, I think it might have been the movie of Sex in the City, but she had a, Carrie had a certain tile in her kitchen, and we were inundated with emails. People going, "Where did you get this?" And we we eventually found it for people, right? But we could and sell you the tile you have to go to your lo- local tile merchant and put in an order and you know so it was it was like that but but people like just loved that little influence and i don't think they were gonna fit out their entire kitchen the way carrie had her kitchen right, right. but they just had that little kind of influence it was a beautiful blue and it had a, a certain kind of depth to it um so i think that that ultimately it, it's it's like anything it's like same with i guess with fashion or art or music you'll have you know these subtle kind of influences and you take what you need from it right and my taste through the years and even through you know being educated in design so you know prior to entering studying architecture my tastes were completely different when i came out the other end of it 
it, right? So, and even now today, my tastes are much more kind of eclectic and I still have a, a deep love of, of kind of American design from the mid-century and, and, and things like that. And, you know, Mies van der Rohe and Eames and, uh, you know, they have huge influence on me. But I also kind of match that up with Ikea, right? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, whatever I can kind of afford. And I, I do try to do the element of... Um, like like Beth kind of mentioned, try to get that look from something that's kind of cheaper. And, you know, even if you have to kind of upcycle something or change the, you know, I'll, I'll buy a, an Ikea dresser and I'll take off the, the handles that they have and I'll put different, you know, something like that, right? Love um, that. But, but, <laughs> so, so I think it's about finding. And, and for us, it was, you know, no one ever really wanted like everything from a set. They wanted, you know, Don Draper's whiskey tumblers, right? Or, right. or yeah, they there wanted were the iconic some, pieces. The iconic yeah and and it was those and to Beth's point earlier about you know it makes for a great gift or, or something like that and I think those elements and, and art specifically as well played a huge kind of influence and and I think you just take what you and my experience of you know running the business for for five six years it, it really was that that's what people were coming to us looking for or they were the items that we sold the most of was those kind of little little touch points little kind of dress like a a lamp or, you know, a, a whiskey tumbler, a wine glass or a, a reprint of a famous painting that you could get, you know, a poster print that you could put in a beautiful frame yourself and get that kind of look. That was ultimately, I think, what people were, were seeking out the most. E-commerce technology was a big part of the idea behind mm. Scene on Set. Um, and you continue today to be an e-commerce expert. What do you see as the next big thing coming to us e-commerce-wise? Well, I think, I mean, there's a, there's a lot. And e-commerce uh, has boomed, particularly since the pandemic as well, given that, you know, everybody had to kind of order stuff from home, right? And and unfortunately, in some industries, some parts of the industries, you're seeing the kind of uh, the net effect of that now that, you know, the likes of Amazon have had to kind of lay off tens of thousands of people because they, they had such a, a growth period during, during kind of COVID and during the pandemic. But coming out of the back of that now, I think it's starting to kind of settle and, and reshape. I think actually, you know, in terms of long-term future and, you know, kind of linking to what we're talking about here today i actually believe that scene on set was maybe a couple of years too early right i yes, think that we will ultimately yeah i think ultimately it's going that way um i think they'll be particularly with all the kind of streaming services they're, they're going to start slowly integrating more shopping into that mm -hmm. as well so that you can you know if you're on you know paramount plus or, or netflix that you'll have the ability to be able to um you know, with the click of your remote, you know, purchase certain things uh, via your TV and ultimately from the TV show. And I think, you know, I know that there's some companies out there uh, at the kind of higher end aspect of the technology side of this are, have been developing a lot of applications that you're going to see kind of come into your living room that you, you know, you're not even going to have to get out your laptop anymore. You're, you can just, you know, order, you can order straight away from your TV, right? So I think there's going to be a movement in that direction. I think e-commerce as a whole, and, you know, I, I work now for a kind of a, a major 
tech multinational, but uh, at its very core is is, and I say this to to, to some of my my uh, team is that it's customer journey, right? It's it's you got to think of of who you're who you're kind of trying to to sell a product to and why they want. And you know when you think back to Don Draper and it's it's that kind of that need and want. It's to be included in something, it's to be part of something, whether that's the acquisition of a piece of furniture or or you know a new pair of trainers or whatever it might be i think ultimately if you never lose sight of of you know that customer and why why they're coming here and what they're looking for whether it you whether you're selling t-shirts or whether you're selling you know computers or whether you're selling furniture from from a movie or tv show ultimately that you got to approach it in the same way it's going to move a little bit more towards that kind of easier easier way of of uh, purchasing and i think get you know like i mentioned that seen on set being a little bit too early i think the technology is going to be quickly kind of rolled out across all of these these platforms in the next maybe 10 years and at a click of a button you're going to be able yeah, to buy, buy whatever you want yeah yeah from from a movie or tv show and e-commerce is is booming you know and i think uh, a lot of that is just driven by people want convenience and and you know they want to be able to you know now you can do you know anything you want from your phone in terms of purchasing and but i think ultimately the danger is you kind of lose sight of who who you're selling to and your customer and i think you got to be careful of that i think in this time and i think if you if you keep that rooted in whatever you do you know whether you're kind of have an online business or not i guess but primarily in an online business you got to kind of keep that at, at its core yeah know your audience for everything yeah, yeah. Uh, Kian, we've kept you uh, pretty long today, and I appreciate your time. Well, first, let me thank you for taking the time to talk to us. This is a great topic and discussion. The last question I have for you is, with the experience you gained from seeing on set and everything you went through in that startup process, and in the years since, thinking back on it, reflecting it, and still being in the e-commerce industry, what is the single best piece of advice you think you could give another entrepreneur that maybe was looking to launch a startup? Being an entrepreneur, launching your own business can can be a very lonely existence, right? Because you, even your family and friends don't really know what it's like, and it's a very stressful <laughs> period, right? I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And anybody that started a, a small business, whether it's a, you know, a small mom and pop shop or an online business or whatever it is, it's it's a tough, tough grind that you have to do. But I but I would say this that if you have an idea and you kind of believe in it, um, and I know this is a little bit cliched, but take that leap, okay? Because um, you know, I'm still standing. I, you know, took my knocks and it was a very, very tough period. We, we had, you know, raised, uh, you know, a couple of rounds of investment and we were doing quite well. And we always felt like we were right on the cusp of something, right? And we were getting introduced to, to all the right people and and I think Beth can remember this, like everybody, when you brought up the, the idea to like, they loved it. They were like, oh my God, this is a great idea, right? This is, but ultimately I think, you it's know, still we were, idea, you, yeah, it's still a good idea. Not for nothing. It's still a good idea. It was before its time. It, it was so, cutting yeah. edge yeah. and it, it lived at, at a time when, you know, everyone wasn't exactly ready for it, but yeah, you and, see, and, you know how, how genius you are, it, you know, it's standing the test of time. I mean, it's continuing. Well, I appreciate that. And I think we kind of fell into um, a trap that a lot of startups, particularly tech or online startups, is is that you're kind of chasing the next. So you need money to make money, right? And you're, so mm-hmm. you're chasing the investment, but also you're trying to generate revenue to keep the cash flow going. And if you're not doing one or the other, 
eventually you kind of you, you kind of run out of steam and you run out of that that bandwidth that you you have in terms of particularly in an e-commerce business investing in an e-commerce business is 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 hard because people don't want to do they want to see that great return really really early but we kind of needed money to kind of reach another another level to kind of take it up a notch and we were kind of just constantly chasing that and i think looking back i would have maybe stripped it back a little bit and just really really focused on delivering cheaper alternative product earlier i think we, mm-hmm. we did that maybe two three years into it and we we, we realized then that that's what we should have done maybe from the start so that was a a key yeah exactly more kind of mass and have that kind of you need your kind of like bread and bread and butter products right that could like your little whiskey tumblers that'll just keep the cash coming in at a low level that'll keep the lights on um (laughs) and i think a little bit more of that was was you know maybe a good learning but i think ultimately that kind of looking back and i think it's different in the u.s than it is here in ireland i know we're kind of coming up on time but I mean, I think in the US, right, you start a business and this is a little bit anecdotal, but nonetheless, hear me out, right? In the US, if you start a business, it's kind of, and, and even if you fail, it's kind of good for you. You know, you you did that, like you, you took your lumps and, you know, go again. And it's a very rewarding. Whereas here, there's a, it's getting better, but there's a little bit of a kind of, like I was a little bit embarrassed, at, you know, right. when it all kind of, fell, and I had to kind of, yeah, and I had to kind of lay people off and then, you know, you'd meet people like, oh, how's that business going? And you're like, oh, it didn't, you know, not so well, you know, and it's kind of that looking back and there was a time that I was like devastated by it all, right? And it, it really did kind of yeah, hurt me, you know, um, but now looking back, um, I'm like really, really proud of it. And, and it was something even my mother, you know, uh, a couple of years later, after it had all kind of wrapped and she was like you know write down on paper all of the things that you achieved with scene on set i mean we i you know was like speaking at seminars all over europe and we won you know loads of different awards and you know google we were in google's adopt a startup microsoft you know we won a competition at microsoft and they you know all of our stack was like three hundred thousand dollars worth of microsoft you know tools and and solutions that we could use and you know we were uh, you know, in major interviews and major publications globally and stuff like that. We were like, you know, starting to talk to people at Netflix. It was like, it was, you know, really, really good stuff. And it was only afterwards when I kind of put all that stuff down on paper that I said, oh yeah, we actually did some things, you know, we kind of, that was, you know, there's a lot of boxes ticked there. And, and now even, you know, working on the other side, you know, coming out and being in a major corporation, I think the guys there, the, well, well my, I, know, I know my manager or, or, you know, my boss, um, he always still says to this day, he'd never seen a resume like my resume. It was just kind of all over the place, but it was all of these things that he was kind of terrified to try himself. And he kind of saw that as a very uh, unusual, but brilliant kind of opportunity for him to hire someone like that. Right. And, <laughs> right. That's great. and, and uh, you know, and I wasn't, and I said it to him, I'm like, I'm not a yes man. I'm not a corporate person. I don't like, I've never worked in a big corporate. And he's like, that's why I'm hiring you, right? Because you've done all these things and you're a little bit different than, you know, someone that's come from like KPMG and he's gone to Microsoft and now he's with Facebook and he's coming to Google and, you know, you're a little bit different. And I think that ultimately is is probably the, the biggest legacy in me. But then also, you know, meeting people like Beth along the way, who was a real kind of advocate of mine and what we were doing and, um, 
and I, that, that always kind of stays with me as well, Beth. It's it's, it's I something I always so. re- really do appreciate. And you were always a, a big supporter of us. And yeah, so I think looking back, you know, I'm, I'm quite proud. And for anybody else that, you know, even if it doesn't work out, I think it's always worth kind of taking that chance. It's and such a good let, lesson. Yeah, it's such yeah. a good lesson. I'm, uh, I am so proud of you. And uh, I just, I'm, I'm glad now you can be one of decorating the set from Hollywood to your home, you can be one of our international ambassadors. <laughs> we you. always love to have people from different countries telling us what's up. And it's a cutting edge concept that you played a major part in. I appreciate that. Thank you, Beth. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so glad to have a chance to talk to you again. I appreciate it. I appreciate thanks as always, Beth. Um, I really do appreciate you guys having me on and give me the time to tell my story, my little my little dent in the world. And I, I thank you for that. Kian, you are fantastic. I hope uh, if you ever, you know, dip your toe back in, you come back and share your journey with us. Uh, well, you, you've been a delight. Uh, everyone, Kian O'Driscoll, we appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I just want to thank Kian for taking the time to speak with us all the way from Cork, Ireland, another one of our international ambassadors. Scheduling across time zones can be a challenge, and we appreciate Kian working with us to make the interview happen. That's going to do it for this episode, you guys. Thanks so much for listening. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Decorating the Set from Hollywood to Your Home at Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please leave a five-star review. It helps a lot in promotion of the show. Five stars, people. Thanks so much for listening. Decorating the Set from Hollywood to Your Home is an original Pod Clubhouse production. Recorded, edited, and produced at Pod Clubhouse Studios. For more information, please visit us online at podclubhouse.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Decorating the Set at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for listening.